few books are as fundamental to the Christian faith as the book of Exodus. Exodus not only teaches us about the redemption of God's people, Israel, but it also provides us with a paradigm for understanding God's future redemption of humanity. The people of Israel were physically enslaved in Egypt. Humanity today is spiritually enslaved to sin. We're all in need of redemption. God redeemed Israel, enabling them to cross over out of Egypt. Through the sacrifice of Jesus, we are all enabled to cross over into life from our sin. When we understand the book of Exodus, we understand God, his grace, and ultimately our redemption. Well, good morning. Great to see everybody this morning. I'm not sure if there's any V kids still in the room uh, and they haven't gone to V kids. They want to go to V kids. They can. I saw some kids exiting out during the video. So parents, if you want to do that, make sure you do that as well. We're happy you're here today on this uh, blazing hot, good grief, 4th of July weekend. Been cutting my grass at 8 p.m. and still almost passing out. And so I hope you guys are staying hydrated and uh, staying inside. And we're glad. What a great turnout for 4th of July weekend. We're so happy that you're here with us today. Uh, We're going to be in Exodus chapter 21. Exodus chapter 21. Go ahead and turn there. If you have a copy of God's Word, if you don't, just raise your hand. And uh, our Connect team is coming down right now. They'd love to get you a free copy of God's Word from us to you. And you can take this home and, uh, and just enjoy God's Word. Exodus 21. Uh, if you were here last week, <clears throat> you heard me preach on the last half of the Ten Commandments, right? We're walking through the book of Exodus. And last week we preached, we talked about uh, Exodus 20, uh, the commandments 5 through 10, okay? Commandments 5 through 10. Pastor Dustin had also preached on commandments 1 through 4. And so a theme that I had last week that I want to continue this week, I want you to consider today, I want you to consider today part two of last week's sermon, okay? So last week I threw out this phrase, life-giving commandments. Turn to your neighbor and say, life-giving commandments. There you go. And when we think about commandments, we often think about things that might be burdensome, that might constrain us, that might not bring us life, that might hold us back or hold us down. But what we unpacked last week is that God gives these commandments to the nation of Israel, to us, to not just constrain us, but to keep us on the narrow path that the Bible talks about. To follow Jesus is a difficult, narrow path, right? And because the path is difficult, we need instruction on how to love God and love people on that path. And so before we dive in today, we are going to cover two chapters in the book of Exodus. Don't worry, though, I'm not going to read everything in two chapters, okay? Uh, We're going to do a summary of the two chapters this morning. And what I want to encourage you with this week is for you to maybe study those two chapters on your own uh, this week or in your V group, okay? But today we're gonna sort of get a, uh, a snapshot of Exodus 21 through 23, part of chapter 23. And if you missed last week, let me just catch you up very quickly on the context of what's going on here. So God had uh, set aside a man named Moses. Moses was to lead the nation of Israel out of slavery. They were in slavery in Egypt, right? And, and God was to, to lead them out of slavery and to lead them towards this promised land this new land that God was giving them to do a new thing. 
And God gave them through Moses these laws, okay? We're all familiar with the Ten Commandments probably. We've heard of them. We're kind of familiar with all those. But there's a lot more commandments than just the Ten. Last week, I told you there were 613 laws that Israel was given. Now, when we think about these laws, the Ten Commandments are the first ten. They lay the foundation for all the other laws. And as we look at some more laws this morning, here's what I want you to think of. When we read some of these things, you're going to notice some, some crazy stuff in here, okay? Uh, some, <laughs> some very unique things that our context right now cannot relate to some of these things in their context, okay? We just can't. It's a completely different situation, a completely different people group, a completely different time period. But God is giving Israel in these chapters case studies, scenarios that they may face as they follow God into the promised land, the land of Canaan. Because as they follow God and they strive to follow these laws and commandments and put on holiness, they're going to come across situations that are going to want to tempt them to not do that. Okay? And so the situations that they're going to face are probably different than the situations we may face. So I want you to keep that in mind as we read some of this stuff. There is a context difference. But at the same time, I want you to put yourself in their shoes as best you can. And I want you to, I want you to think about how we can gain wisdom from these laws, okay? Because although it's a different context, we can still gain wisdom on how to love God and how to love people. These laws and commandments are all about loving God and loving people. Life-giving commandments. Okay, so what are these laws about? Let me just give you a quick breakdown, then we'll dive in. These laws are about, they're broken into categories. Number one, slavery. We're going to tackle that this morning, okay? Slavery. Number two, restitution. Number three, social justice. And then lastly, Sabbath and festivals, okay? So those are the, the, the breakdowns of categories of types of laws that we're going to read about in Exodus 21 through Exodus 23. So as we read this, keep that in mind. Let me give you four truths this morning, four nuggets of wisdom about these laws that I think we can apply to our lives as well as we try to love God and love people. Number one is this. If you're taking notes, it's on the screen. Uh, take notes and follow along. We're going to open up Exodus 21. Number one is this. Uh, be willing to release people from their burdens and debts. Be willing to release people from their burdens and debts, okay? This comes from chapter 21, verses 1 through 32, as we read about slave laws, okay? Slave laws. I want you to go to Exodus 21, verse 16. And before you sort of, you're probably thinking something right now, right? This is a, a topic that we read about, and we, we have a hard time with this, right? This is a, a tough topic to navigate. But I want to lay some context for you that I think will really help us understand this better. Hebrew slavery in the Old Testament was extremely opposite and different of the slavery that we think of in our day and age and in our country in the American South, right? And across our, this is completely different. This was not to abuse people. This was not to take advantage of people. And God was against that. And God is against that, okay? So let's put that out there first. This is not what you think it is. Slave laws. But God did speak against the negative type of slavery that we are used to in Exodus 21, 16. I mean, he does it multiple times, but read this, this passage on the screen. 
Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Wow. Uh, I think God is against what we, you know, what we know of as slavery, isn't he? God was serious about holiness. Now, I want you to think about this real quick. God was setting a people apart for himself, the nation of Israel. And what God was trying to do, he wasn't just telling this people group a list of do's and don'ts. He was gathering a people group to be holy as he is holy so that they would imitate him. People are made in the image of God, right? The Imago Dei. That they would reflect him and that other nations and other peoples would see the love of God and see the holiness of God and also come to a relationship with God, okay? And so God's addressing the sin that the nation of Israel was dealing with head on. And God was serious about holiness. He still is. But God is addressing specific things that they were struggling with and that they would struggle with that other people groups were doing. So slave laws. We see Exodus 21, 16. God is against that type of slavery. Many people read passages in the Bible about slavery and immediately think that God supports it. But God does not support it. Last week I talked about God speaking into to systems and people. If, if we were in a perfect world, like in the new heavens and new earth one day, we won't have any of these issues, right? This is a result of brokenness and sin. What God does is he speaks into people's lives. He wants to change their hearts first. And then out of an overflow of a life change, he wants to change evil systems and practices from the inside out. God changes this world one person at a time through their heart, and then as an overflow of that, proper behavior comes. Following God is not about behavior modification, right? It's not just about doing, 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 doing the right thing. It's about being changed in your heart first, and as an overflow of that, you then do the right thing because you have God in your life, amen? So what God is saying to Israel is, hey, your heart has been changed by me. Follow me. This is a covenant relationship. I've, I'm making a promise to you. I want you to make a promise to me. I love you. I'm setting you apart as a people. Now, because you have me, I want you to approach this situation of slavery and do it the complete opposite of what you see. So God speaks into this. And when you, when you read about slavery in the Bible, when it was carried out in the proper way, this type of slavery was to help people get out of debt. Get out of debt. Many people got themselves into debt for various reasons. Now, we know that being in debt, what does being in debt do? It, it brings you bondage, right? It holds you down. In a sense, you are in bondage to what you owe until it's paid off. It weighs on you. It lingers. It's just a thing that you have to deal with until you can pay it off, right? And so people would get into debt. That is a result of sin, right? Debt is is not something ideal. In general, it holds you back. And so people would get into debt, and then what would happen is they would want to be a slave for someone to get out of debt. And what the Israelites would do is they would take a Hebrew slave and bring them into their home and treat them as their own, okay? Masters were to love their slaves. They were to respect their slaves. They were to honor their slaves. They were to love their slaves. And the whole purpose they had them to begin with was to help them get out of debt and get back on their feet. 
That's a good thing, right? So they would do that, and this process would last seven years. If someone was a slave to someone, and they were treated as just another person in God's image as they should be, they would work and, and help and do things around the house and, and sort of carry out those duties, and after seven years, they would be released completely after seven years. Some people even decided to stay in slavery because it was such a good situation for them when people treated them the way they should, the way that God said to. Now look, I want you to think about seven years for a minute. Look at chapter 21, verses one through two. Chapter 21, verses one through two. God says this to the nation of Israel. These are the rules that you should set before them. Moses, tell them this. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years. And in the seventh year, he shall go out free for nothing. This is the year of Jubilee is what they call it in the scripture. You're free. Regardless of the situation, you've done your time, you've paid back your debt, you need to move on in freedom, right? There's mercy given to you. You're not held in bondage anymore. You're given mercy and grace and forgiveness and love, and you're called to move on and keep living your life. Don't let bondage hold you down. Now, I want you to think about Israel for a minute. This is very, uh, this is really interesting that they were given these, these slave laws because remember what happened to Israel in the beginning? We, we talked about this in the very beginning of Exodus, right? They were in what? Slavery. The Egyptians had them in slavery. Okay, so they know what it's like to be in slavery and to be mistreated in slavery. The Egyptians did not model this type of slavery. They modeled oppress oppressive slavery, abusive slavery, right? So the Israelites understand what this feels like, and they were called now to do the complete opposite. I just think that's a, an interesting connection. And, and, and God says, after seven years, you're free. Seven, years, seven is a holy number in Scripture. We think about the, the creation order, the seventh day God rested, the Sabbath day. Uh, we learn about all these things that, that God uses this year of seven, this year of jubilee. And it's just a beautiful thing that after seven years, you're completely free, regardless. Now, okay, there's a little context for you. There's a lot more we could say about that. But God does not condone slavery. God speaks into the evil, broken systems of the world and says, look, I want you to treat them as I treat you with dignity and respect and love and help them get to back to where they need to be, right? And God is changing hearts and then changing systems. So in our context, I think it's difficult to sort of connect this, but I want you to, one thing that I thought of is a employer-employee relationship. It's a different type of relationship, but someone, if you, if you work in the room this morning, there is someone who is over you, right? You have a boss, you have a supervisor, or maybe someone works under you, you manage, you lead someone. Now, I want you to think about this. Those who you work with as Christians, if you're a Christian in the room this morning, those who work with you should benefit from you, okay? Those who you work with, those who work under you and those who work over you or alongside you should benefit from you in their life. Treat them with dignity and respect. And this model that God gives uh, the nation of Israel about how to treat slaves shows us God's heart is for people to work with and under people who don't treat them with anything less than equal value 
and the respect that they would also want. Servant leadership. One thing I love about being one of the pastors here is I get to work alongside and under one of the best lead pastors I've ever met, ever, Dustin Turner. He's on vacation right now. He well-deserved well vacation. Please don't email him or anything. Just let him rest, okay? But look, if you, know, if you know Pastor Dustin Turner, you know that he is a servant. He's not perfect. No one is. But I love working alongside and under him because he serves. He's willing to do whatever it takes to serve. He's been there for me. He cares about me. He humbles himself. Matthew 25, verses 25 through 28. Check this out. Jesus says, Jesus called to them and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever will be great among you must be your, what? Say it, servant. Let's try that again. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Once again, Jesus is the ultimate model of who we strive for. He is God of the universe. He has all authority, everything, yet he came as a servant. So I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about who you work with, who works under you, who's alongside you. And I want you to ask yourself, are you leading by serving? That's what God calls us to do. And this text shows us that yes, people, if you owe something, if you're in debt and you owe something, you need to work to pay that back and to do what you need to do to, to give that back. But after that's over, there is forgiveness, there is mercy, and there should be freedom from that burden. God shows mercy to us. Don't hold people in bondage. Be willing to release people from their burdens and debts. That's what God's done for us, right? Number two, let's keep moving. Go above and beyond to make wrongs right. Go above and beyond to make wrongs right. So the laws that we read about here come from uh, chapter 21, verse 33, through chapter 22, verse 15, and these are called restitution laws. Okay, what is restitution? These laws are all about someone's property, animals, and possessions. So if someone else misused their property, uh, we talked about this a lot last week. We talked about coveting. We talked about stealing. We talked about wanting something that isn't yours. We talked about all of these things that we do because of sin. When we don't have what we want, we can easily run after things that aren't ours, right? And so that's sort of an example of this, someone's property and animals and possessions. And many times uh, in this context, someone would ask someone else to, to watch over their stuff. If they were taking a trip or if they were sick or if they were, something was going on and they couldn't handle what they had, they couldn't take care of their land and their property and possessions, they would ask a neighbor, a friend, a family member to steward and take care of their stuff. And if someone did not take care of their stuff properly, there were consequences. Look at chapter 22, uh, verses five through seven. Verses five through seven. 
If a man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed over or lets his beast loose and feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best in his own field and in his own vineyard. If fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that the stack grain or the standing grain or the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make full restitution. If a man gives to his neighbor money or goods to be kept safe and it is stolen from the man's house, then if the thief is found, he shall pay double. Restitution. We talked about being good stewards of what we have last week, if you remember that. Everything that we have has been given to us by who? God. And because what we have is, is from God's to begin with, we're to be a steward, not an owner, but a steward. Meaning that we take this thing that God's given us, this paycheck, this house, this car, whatever it is, and we steward it, not just for our own benefit, but to glorify God, to treat it well, to take care of it, but to also minister to others with it, to use it for a greater purpose, for God's kingdom. I want you to think about a time that maybe you have gone on vacation and asked somebody to dog sit or house sit. That ever happened to you? Or maybe you've been the, you've been the, the dog sitter or the house sitter, right? You're leaving, you're gone, you are entrusting someone to watch your things, to watch your animal, to watch your house, to take care of it and you're placing that in their hands. That's kind of a big deal. You don't just ask anybody to do that, do you? <laughs> do you? Okay, yeah, I hope not. You're entrusting your stuff to them. I think about a buddy of mine, I won't share his name, but he's gone out of town multiple times and asked me to dog sit for him, and they even have a cat. Now, I don't wanna get into that debate, dogs and cats, right? Which one's better, you know? Are you a cat person, a dog person? But I love dogs, so I jumped on it. You know, I love this guy too, but I also love dogs. And so I remember this one time, I've done it multiple times. I remember this one time I was dog sitting. I would, I would drop in twice a day, you know, feed the dog, take the dog out, just kind of pet the dog for a minute. And this cat had, had, a, had a litter box, right? And really there's not a lot to do with the cat. You just kind of make sure the food is there, make sure the litter box is good, check the water sometimes. The thing about this cat, though, is you never knew where the cat was. <laughs> you knew where the dogs were because they ran to the door as soon as you got there, right? That's what dogs usually do. And the cat was just kind of mysterious, like never knew where it was. And the dogs were also scared of the cat. That's a normal thing, isn't it? It can be, at least. I've seen it happen a lot. So we're on the last day here, and I don't think I've seen the cat yet. I've been, I've been dog sitting like three, four days at this point, and I, I go for a little hunt, like a little house hunt, you know? Because when I walk in, I close the door pretty quickly. But I also walk out the backyard several times, and I'm like, well, the cat's so sneaky, maybe the cat just snuck out. Where is the cat? I am dog sitting and house sitting and cat sitting, and the worst thing that I could possibly do is lose one of the animals I'm entrusted to watch. That's like the definition of an epic fail right? And so I get to the last day, I search the house, I look around, I even look under their bed, that might have been crossing boundaries, but I don't know. I look in their closet, I literally look everywhere that I can, and I do not see this cat. I call my buddy, dude, I'm sorry, I cannot find, I looked in the showers, he said, check the shower. I mean, I checked everywhere. 
I can't find your cat. Well, don't worry. She's somewhere. I'm going to be home tomorrow. Just don't worry about it, man. You're good. So, I mean, okay, I don't worry about it. And thankfully, he gets home and he finds the cat in some crazy place. And I feel so relieved. But the weight that I felt of the possibility of losing that cat was a pretty heavy weight. Uh, It wasn't a good feeling to be entrusted with something and to think that I completely uh, lost trust in the process. The things that we have matter to us. The things that we entrust to people matter to us. When we're asked to do that, we know the feeling and we don't take care of it or someone else doesn't. Yes, we want to extend forgiveness to them, of course, right? But if that's you and you lose the cat, you probably want to go buy them a new cat, don't you? That's completely normal and valid. And what God is giving this nation is, look, you guys are to look out for each other. You're to love each other, protect each other, and take care of each other's things as stewards. And if something is misused intentionally, you need to make that right. Because you made the decision intentionally, right? To let something slip, right? And you need to make the wrongs right. So go above and beyond to make wrongs right. That's the second thing they were charged with. Number three, the third nugget of wisdom is to help the helpless. Help the helpless. Chapter 22, verse 16 through chapter 23, verse 9, talks about uh, social justice laws. Social justice laws. Now, as you read these verses, you come across some, what may appear as some bizarre stuff. (laughs) There's a lot of things in here. There's some pretty extreme examples of multiple ways that particularly the nation of Canaan that was surrounding them was, was living in rebellion to the God of Israel. And they were diminishing the holiness of God. And Israel could easily fall into that temptation along the way. And so God is speaking about these things of unholiness, like sexual unholiness, sacrificing to false gods, worshiping satanic influences, and mistreating sojourners, those that could not speak up for themselves and did not have much. If you want to read more about this, I encourage you to go read Leviticus chapter 20. Leviticus chapter 20 unpacks that a little bit more. But look right here at chapter 22 of Exodus, verses 21 through 22. Chapter 22, verses 21 through 22. says this, You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or any fatherless child. Israel... I've told you this multiple times, and this is key to remembering the point of all of this. Israel was not just a people that was given a list of do's and don'ts. This was a people that was to be set apart to demonstrate God to an unholy people around them, to love people as God loved them, and to show nations around them that God God is not a God of sin. He's a God of holiness and a God of love. And Israel was to care for people who were not like them. I mean, we go back again to the story, the text says it here, when they were in Egypt, they were sojourners. That's not where they belonged. 
They, they were not treated well. And God says, I want you to remember that experience. I delivered you from that. And I want you to, you learn from that experience of what not to do, <laughs> how not to treat people. And I want you to care for people who aren't like you. I want you to speak up for people that may not have a voice. And I want you to help the people that can't help themselves. Treat them as they are made in God's image because they are. Every single human being on the planet is made in God's image. Whether they know that or not, whether they recognize that or not, whether they live like that or not, that's a whole other conversation. That's where sin has tainted us. God is trying to redeem that sin and remind us that we are made in the image of God. We have a greater purpose, a greater calling. And as Christians, we are meant to lead the way in that effort and speak up for those that don't have a voice. Speak up for those that other people might want to shut up that are just trying to express their struggles and what they're going through and give a voice to people that need to lift their voice. Adventist Church, we want to be about helping the helpless. We want to be about loving all people. We want to be about giving people a voice and leading people to the gospel. Think about it. Who in your life needs you to speak up for them? Who do you know that is just mistreated by everybody? Who do you know that just wants someone to listen to them? Maybe that's you this morning. You, you just want someone to talk to. Well, Christians, that's you. That's me. The nation of Israel was not called to just be a holy huddle. <laughs> they were called to welcome and love the sojourner and treat them as someone made in God's image. God welcomes and invites all people from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue to hear the message of the gospel and to respond. Help the helpless. Number four and lastly is this. We need to remember, trust, and worship. Remember, trust, and worship. This comes from chapter 23, verses 10 through 19. And this is all about Sabbath and festival laws. And no, not New Orleans festivals, okay? Sabbath and festival laws. Okay, this pointed to, we've talked about Sabbath a lot at this church. We believe in Sabbath. Sabbath and sabbatical rhythms of rest and instructions for specific feasts and festivals in order to remember, trust, and worship God. I want you to look at chapter 23, verses 10 through 15. Chapter 23, verse 10 through 15 says this. For six years, you will sow your land and gather in its yield. On the seventh year, you will let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat. And what they leave, what they, and what they leave the beasts of the fields may also eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Six days you'll do your work, but on the seventh day you will rest, that your ox and donkey may also have rest. The son of your servant woman and the alien, which is the sojourner, may also be refreshed. Pay attention to all that I've said to you. Make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. 
Three times in the year you will keep a feast to me. You will keep the feast of unleavened bread as I commanded you. You will eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time of the month of Abed. For in it you came out of Egypt. So God desires his people and everyone in their household and on their property to work and rest in a certain rhythm. To work six days and to rest on the seventh. And even the donkey and the ox and everybody else in the house was supposed to rest. God cares about rest. We're reminded of the Sabbath. On the seventh day of every week, we should not work. Whatever day that is for you, we should put work down. We should be present. We should be filled up by God and things that fill us up in life. We're reminded that the, the creation order, God created in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. We're reminded here of the sabbatical rhythm, right? Every six years, you would, you would work for six years, and on the seventh year, they would do no work for a whole year. That's pretty amazing, right? Completely different context, but just maybe daydream about that for a little bit. But on the seventh year, the poor in their community would eat freely from their land. And then there were three feasts every year that they were to partake in. The unleavened bread, the feast of harvest, and the feast of end gathering. Every feast served a purpose for remembering and celebrating what God had done for them remembering and celebrating. Think about this. We are prone to wander and forget what God has done. We are prone to drift, right? We are prone to sort of walk away. We're prone to not abide in Christ because of our sin nature. If we have the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to stay anchored. We have to do that intentionally through the power of the Holy Spirit. When you don't do that, you drift. The Lord is, is with you in your drifting. If you run back to him in his grace, but instead of living your life in a drift, why not try to live your life in a solid anchor where you discipline yourself to remember who God is and what he's done for you? And that's what these things were all about. They weren't just things to do. These were things to help them be disciplined to remember to trust God and to worship him. You know, anybody like hymns, old hymns? Maybe a few of you guys. Some, you know, sometimes Mark will bust out an old hymn. There's a hymn that I just love this verse of the hymn. It says, prone to wander, I'm not gonna sing it. Sorry, just think of it. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. We need discipline and we need rhythms in life to help us be anchored to walk in a covenant relationship with God. It's not going to happen by osmosis, right? You have to do it. Now, as we wrap up, we think about these laws, as I said in the beginning, it's a very different context. You can't open the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, and read a verse and say, what in the world is that? Okay, you gotta study in context, understand what's going on, properly take the application that it's trying to tell you, and then apply it to your life. And that's what I hope today you've seen a little bit of, taking these Old Testament laws that they were given and bridging some wisdom to our context today. But what I want you to think about is how could these things be life-giving?
what these things did for the nation of Israel is it helped them represent God and love people. It gave them specific parameters to follow because sin was everywhere around them. And God is calling them to live a better life, to represent him. But just like last week, I want to end talking about Jesus. Because we're in the book of Exodus right now. You may be wondering, okay, where's Jesus in this? Oh, he's all in it. The Bible is all about Jesus. He is the main character from Genesis to Revelation. And what the Old Testament does, what the law is doing is is exposing the need for Jesus, isn't it? And Jesus was coming. As soon as sin entered the picture, God said, I'm going to send my son at the right time to take care of this problem. And so the Old Testament points to the need for him and the coming of him. The gospels point to the life, the birth, the life, the ministry of Jesus. The letters of Paul and all those, those writings and letters point to the age of the Holy Spirit and the ministry where Jesus ascended and sent his spirit. And in the end, one day he's coming back again. Jesus is the main character and Jesus fully embodies the law perfectly. Jesus is the embodiment of loving God and loving people. He is in the flesh who you and I want and should want to be like. We cannot keep these laws by ourselves. We need someone to come and put them on for us. And that's what Jesus has done. Matthew 5, 17, it's on the screen. Jesus says this in his ministry. Because remember, he is ministering at first to a group of people that followed the law. And he's trying to come now and say, look, I'm glad you've done that. But look, it's really, as, as an overflow of the law, it's about loving God and loving people. It's not just about being religious. It's about relationship. And now here I am. I'm the new covenant. I'm the fulfillment of what you've been learning all these years. And he says, do not think I've come to abolish the law or prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but fulfill them. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these things. And that's the gospel. That's the gospel message, is that all these things may seem overwhelming for us as we read these. And what this is doing is exposing our sin, isn't it? And exposing our need for someone greater. And this should drive us to Jesus, drive us to his fulfillment, drive us to the embodiment of everything good and holy, that is Jesus. And God sent his son, Jesus. God in the flesh, God put on flesh, humbled himself, did not sin. He never sinned, never. And in his mission of not sinning, he went to the cross, he died a death that was just the brutal, most brutal death you could imagine. And when he died that death, he took every sin that you and I will ever commit and he nailed it to the cross and he took the guilt away. But now it's our job to put him on, to receive that forgiveness. So this morning you may be holding on to something and you haven't given it to Jesus yet. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've never trusted in Jesus. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus is coming back again. He wants to know you. And because of him, we can love God and we can love others. 
And he gives us his spirit to do that. I wanna ask the same question that I asked last week in response. Because this is all about loving people. Don't forget, these commandments are about a covenant relationship with God and loving people like God. So the question for you and I is through the power of the Holy Spirit, how can we love others? How can we love people? Only through the power of the Spirit. I want you to bow your heads for a minute. I want you to just reflect on some of these commandments we've talked about the past two weeks. I want you to put yourself in the nation of Israel's shoes as they had seen God deliver them out of slavery. They'd seen God part the Red Sea. They've seen God provide for them. They've seen God fight for them. He's kept his covenant with them and he's gonna continue to keep his covenant. But in return, God is saying, look, I'm gonna keep my promise to you but I want you to live, I want you to strive for a standard of living that represents me and what I've done for you. Because I love you, I'll do anything for you. I want my love to spread to others though too. So as you think about how you can better love people, I want you to just give that to the Lord even right now and say, God, this, is, this situation in particular is where I'm failing to love people. Help me, Jesus, through the power of your spirit to navigate this. This complex situation, God, these, these laws we've read about today are extremely specific and even complex, but I'm so thankful that God gives us the wisdom in the midst of complex situations to still love people. No situation is too far from God. He will give us what we need to love him and love people in the midst of complicated circumstances. God, give us wisdom. So God, as we get ready to respond, thank you. Thank you for showing us what love is like. Thank you for giving us a higher calling and purpose. Thank you for sending Jesus to us. Thank you for giving us someone to strive after and to put on. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. And thank you for the hope that's found in you. Be with us now as we respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. If you're enjoying this content, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you next week.